Father, what, again, a privilege it is to carry all our requests to you. What a joy it is spending the morning worshiping with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we are certainly in an exciting season in our church, and many changes are ahead. And we ask, God, that you would accomplish your purposes in these changes. Lord God, would many in our community hear the gospel and believe and come to a saving faith in you. Lord, now as we look to your word, we ask, God, that you would teach us to pray. And not only would you teach us, Lord, would you change our hearts that we would want to pray. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Why does something so simple have to be so hard? This is what I often find uh, myself saying uh, internally when I try to assemble a new piece of IKEA furniture. <laughs> I look at those famous, you know, wordless instructions with the little little man, and I go, "I got this. Yeah, I got this. This is this will be easy. It'll take no time at all, honey. Don't worry." And then, obviously, hours later, I'm still trying to figure out how this round thing hits in this, this the square hole. I, and I usually got to call in some backup. Why does something so simple have to be so hard? I often find myself saying similar things about prayer. Why does something so simple have to be so hard? Maybe you can relate to that as well. You know, we try to set these daily patterns and routines of prayer, and time after time we get distracted or forgetful. Maybe you're a new Christian and, and prayer sounds simple enough, but you try and pray and you don't know what to say. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've always tried to be that prayer warrior that your mother or grandmother has been, and yet you've given up because you just can't set the right routine. And prayer is hard for a number of reasons for us. Thankfully, Jesus knows our struggles with prayer, right? He knows firsthand that his disciples, right, they fell asleep when, they, when he needed them to pray. He knows that prayer can often feel very lifeless for us. And he knows that many of us have never been taught how to pray, or we've also been taught unhealthy ways to pray, unhealthy patterns of prayer. So we look at our text this morning, we'll see that Jesus, again, doesn't remove the expectation of prayer upon us, but he does teach us something. He teaches us a pattern of prayer to avoid and a pattern of prayer to follow. So look at first, a pattern of prayer to avoid in verses 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first pattern we need to avoid in praying is praying for the praise of men. Again, we touched on this a little last week, uh, and we learned why it's not inherently wrong to pray in public. It is wrong to pray in public in order to be seen by others. Again, in Jesus' day, right, there were some set times during the day that people would pray, and, and some people would just happen to find themselves at a busy street corner, and uh, that's the time to pray. And so they're going to pray loudly, and so everyone might see 
Now, I don't see many of you, again, standing on our front steps out here praying loudly as people walk into, into church to be seen by them, but we, can, we know the temptation, right, uh, to make ourselves look more righteous than we are. Again, it's easy to wear a religious mask and to perform religious duties in order to be seen by others, to say spiritual-sounding things to gain others' approval. Jesus says that these religious actors have received their reward. And what Jesus means is that the one you perform for is the one that will reward you. The one that you perform for is the one by whom you will receive a reward. And since these hypocrites perform for men, Jesus tells them, congratulations, you have received your brief and fleeting reward from men. Therefore, do not expect any praise from the one who matters most. Instead, Jesus instructs us that our regular pattern of prayer should be done in secret and for an audience of one. But as I said, this doesn't mean that we ought to never pray in public, but instead I think we ought to follow this general principle that was really helpful that I came across in my study. It says, show or pray in public when you are tempted to hide, and hide when you are tempted to show off. Did you hear that? Show when you are tempted to hide, and hide when you are tempted to show off. So this first brief pattern uh, to avoid, we should avoid being praying to be seen by men. Now after Jesus' first critiques, again, this, this first pattern of prayer from the religious hypocrites, he now turns the attention to the pagan Gentiles' pattern of prayer and teaches his disciples to avoid their pattern as well. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So this second pattern to avoid is praying mindless and manipulative prayers. Mindless and manipulative prayers. You see, the pagan Gentiles here, they worship many different gods, and they believe that if they recited their ritual prayers enough times, it would, in a sense, force their gods to answer them. Prayer to the pagan was a way to kind of twist God's arm into doing what they desired. You see in verse 7, this word empty phrases can also be translated as kind of this irreverent babble. Don't be a babbler. And you see these Gentiles would heap up these nonsensical words and recite the same prayers over and over again, thinking the more words they spoke, the more likely it would be to get their God's attention. Their prayers were mindless repetition. Again, this is not how Jesus instructs us to pray. Instead of letting our minds go and succumbing to a vain repetition, Jesus wants us to engage our minds in prayer. John Stott uh, says this, he says, We ought to avoid prayers that are all lips with no mind and no heart. I grew up uh, in a Christian grade school, and, and I remember each day before lunch, our teacher would gather our class together and we would recite a prayer. Maybe some of you know it. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let thy gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Uh, and depending on how hungry we were, uh, we would repeat that prayer uh, faster or slower, because uh, we knew, uh, again, we wouldn't get to, to lunch until we said the prayer. And so, again, sometimes it, it would be so fast that it would be unrecognizable, right? Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Amen. All right. And we're, we're headed to lunch. 
Now, now I, I know my teacher's heart was, was in the right place, and I, I think it was really important for us to acknowledge God before we, uh, before we ate. But over time, that repetition of, of prayer had very little effect on my heart. It no longer had become an invitation for Jesus to, to be with us as we ate or thank him for the food. But rather, it, it became kind of like those magic words that we needed to say before we could get our, our lunch. We can see this really unhealthy pattern of prayer in our churches as well. Uh, maybe some of you grew up in really heavy liturgical churches uh, where the same prayers and creeds were recited each week without much thought. And again, many of these prayers uh, and creeds have deep, sound theology that we would affirm here uh, and may even say uh, time to time. But over time, uh, these repetitions, uh, these can become dead words if we're not careful, if we don't engage our minds as we pray and as we sing. Again, this doesn't mean that liturgy is bad. We have our own uh, liturgy here at College Park, Castleton. Uh, but we need to check ourselves anytime we come into uh, and to pray or, or sing, making sure that we don't become mindless worshipers. We ought not to just go through the motions uh, of prayer or, or singing. We have to think about the words that we're saying. And the answer to, this, to mindless liturgy is not just, hey, let's just throw in some more impromptu prayers and some more sermons off the cuff. Again, I promise you don't want that from me. Because uh, those things, again, they can be just as, as mindless. Jesus, again, is calling his disciples to be thoughtful and intentional when we address God. Furthermore, this passage tells us that we ought not to think God is impressed by long prayers. God is not manipulated into acting because of the number of words in our prayers. So he's got a word count until, until he hears you. I had a teacher in high school uh, who would assign weekly, assigned you know, summaries for our chapter readings. And he's like, okay, and the, uh, the requirement was we need to have a front page, back and front, two pages of written text of summaries. And so after a while, we caught on that this guy, he wasn't, even, he wasn't reading anything that we were writing. He just was kind of looking, okay, check mark, and we're like, oh, man, like, I've worked hard on this. Like, and so one day my, my buddy decides, well, you know what, I'm going to test the system, and I'm going to write a bunch of gibberish for, for two pages and see what happens. And lo and, lo and behold, uh, he got the same grade as the rest of us. Again, th- this is not how God sees our prayers God does not hear our prayers for our, our many words. To, th- to think that if we just pray longer, that God will magically bend his will towards us is to think like the pagans. Now again, this, this doesn't mean that we, we should never pray long prayers. Sometimes I pray long prayers there. Tommy can pray long prayers here. Or, or that we shouldn't be persistent in our prayers like the, uh, the widow in Luke 18. Yet we ought not to think that we can manipulate God into doing what we want to do with our prayers. We are not trying to impress or persuade a reluctant God. Instead, our prayers can be simple. They can be direct. Because they are directed towards a God who already knows what you need before you ask him. Many of you may ask, then why pray at all? If God knows what we need, why should we pray? It's a good question. In response to that, again, yeah, here at uh, College Park Castle, we believe that the Bible is very clear. That God is a sovereign God who is all-knowing and who works all things according to the counsel of his will, we find in Ephesians 1. Yet in his divine providence, God has determined to use means in order to accomplish his ends. For example, God, if he wanted to, he could send manna from heaven, and that's how we could always get our food every day. But, but he doesn't do that. 
the normal way in which we get food, again, is through sunlight and the rain and the soil, through some of our work. That's how he provides food for us. Again, in the same way, God has ordained prayer as a means to carry out his will. God also uses prayer as our constant reminder that we are dependent upon him, and that he alone is our provider. Additionally, prayer is a means God uses to allow his children to see what he is doing in the world. I just think about how, how many things, evidences of God's grace have we missed or his actions in the world because we have not put things to prayer. When we pray, we get to see God working and it fuels our faith. Again, this is why I think prayer journals can be really helpful to go look back and to see how God has continually answered our prayers. Again, our history wall back there is meant to be a reminder of God's answered prayers and his faithfulness to us. We need to remember those things. Without prayer, we, we lose that. Again, and prayer is not, not a means in which we try to change God's mind, but God uses prayer to change us and to help us keep our focus upon him. So we've seen, again, verses 5 through 8, a pattern of prayer to avoid. We should avoid being trying to seen by men or praying mindless and manipulative prayers. And then 9 to 15, we'll spend most of our time, is a pattern of prayer to follow. Look at verse 9. Pattern of prayer to follow. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, again, as many of you know, this prayer is called the Lord's Prayer, but if you look closely, it, it probably could be called the Disciples' Prayer, since Jesus, again, he does not need to pray for forgiveness, uh, the sinless Son of God. He doesn't need to, this is kind of the prayer that he gives to us, and maybe many of your Bibles have a, uh, are missing, a, you know, there's a, a benediction at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Again, that is, uh, again, we would believe that that actually is not part of Jesus' prayer, original prayer is probably added later, it's not a a bad thing to pray. It's, they're all good things, but um, from manuscript evidence, we, it's not in there. But nevertheless, again, this, these words right here that we that I just read may be the single set of words that have spoken more by anybody else in the history of the world, right? It's very common to many of us. And you may be thinking, Jesus, you just told us to avoid mindless prayers. So are you telling us that we should just repeat this prayer over and over and over again? On the contrary, Jesus' purpose here is not just giving us a text to pray or words to pray, but rather uh, he's giving us a kind of a model to pray. He says, pray like this, not just pray this prayer or only these words. He's teaching us how to pray. He's giving us a model to follow. One commentator gave a helpful analogy that the Lord's Prayer is the scaffolding of the tower of prayer, uh, or the Lord's Prayer acts like as a guardrail along which the disciple works to form his or her own prayers. It's a frame to which all other prayers fit into. It is a pattern of prayer to follow. And as we look at it, the, the structure of the Lord's Prayer starts with an address followed by six petitions or requests to God. First, as we look at the address, we'll see that prayer is a privilege. And we ought to see prayer as a privilege. Jesus tells his disciples, verse 9, that we can address God as our Father. One of the defining characteristics of Christian prayer is, is not so much um, like how many words we pray uh, or how much we pray, but rather who we are praying to. 
And we ought to see this as a great privilege to dress God in the same way that he dresses, that Jesus addresses him in his own prayers. Again, to address God as Father tells us that our prayers, right, are personal. We are not addressing some faraway deity uh, who may or may not hear us, but rather we are like children addressing their daddy. God tells us to call him Father. Again, this may not seem radical for us today. Again, we've heard this probably before, but for the Jews in, in that day, in Jesus' day, Again, it was almost unheard of to address God in this way in their prayers. This is not how they would have understood their relationship with God. Again, uh, some Jews wouldn't even say the, the proper name of God for, for worry of, of misusing it. It's like you were invited to the royal wedding. And instead of being seated way in the back with the, with the commoners, right, you were escorted to the, to the front. And you're like, oh, I'm going to the front. And you're, you, they're going to seat you right next to Queen Elizabeth. Right, and so you're kind of like, oh, how do I dress her? How do I dress her? And, and, and you come and you approach the queen, the queen, and you, you bow and you say, "Your Majesty," and and then she turns to you and says, "Oh dear, call me Lizzie." Like, like, <laughs> right? That would that would shock you, right? Uh, th- this would be an, an incredible privilege, right? About say that that change in address from Your Majesty to to Lizzie. Right, completely alters how you interpret your relationship. Right, the people around you are like, how do you know her? How do you, how do you, you guys, you guys are tight. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. I guess we're good. <laughs> it, it, right, it's it's like you've known her for for years, and the pressure of saying the right things and doing the right thing have, have completely been put off. The, the performance has been has been lifted. Right, church, do you recognize that you are on a first name basis with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We get to call him Father. Again, when God reveals himself to us as Father, he is communicating a desire for an intimate relationship with us, as any good father would have. Our God, again, he's not a heavy-handed boss or a stern judge or an absent father. Rather, he is tender and he's kind. Yes, our God is transcendent. He is in the heavens, but he is also near and he's available. He is a father who is never busy for his children, and he loves to hear their requests, even the small ones. Even the big ones. Again, we don't have to pray to, to a saint in order to have our prayers get heard. Jesus is telling us that we have direct access to him. Yet we must remember that direct access to God and the privilege of calling him Father is not our right. We only have access to God the Father because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his only Son. We see this clearly in Hebrews 10. Verse 19 to 22. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And famously, right, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, that is why, again, it's our pattern. Uh, it's our pattern to, to finish our prayers in Jesus' name, right? We are acknowledging that without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we would not have the privilege of calling God Father. Again, we are only given the right to call God Father after we receive this gift of salvation and believe that apart from the work of Jesus Christ, we would not be his children. 
Again, it's important for us to note that the Lord's Prayer here also implies um, that we're praying with others. Again, you see the personal pronouns and the plural pronouns used throughout. Again, Christianity is essentially communal, right? Jesus saves the people. He calls disciples together. Therefore, we ought to pray together. And our prayers are structured largely around community. Again, this is why each Sunday we have a congregational prayer. Again, one person may be speaking, but again, we're using language that everyone ought to be praying. I mean, the goal is for us to pray together as a body signifying our union with Christ together by his spirit. Again, it's important to pray together because it's often through, again, other believers' prayers that we are encouraged and our faith is strengthened. I don't know how many times that I've been in a hard season and I just I don't want to pray or I just find it hard to pray that when somebody else prays over me or with me, the Lord gives me the words that I wanted to pray or that I could not pray for myself. We ought to pray with one another even in our sufferings because it will help you in your struggle and belief. Again, it is a privilege to address God as Father and it's a privilege to pray with others. Second, Jesus teaches us to pray God's priorities. To pray God's priorities. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first of God's uh, priorities that we should pray is that his name should be hallowed. Or in other words, may your name be honored as holy. Again, our prayer for God's name to be hallowed is a prayer that God would receive the glory that he deserves from his people, right? We are God's ambassadors. We are praying that God would keep us, his ambassadors, from dishonoring his name or, or misrepresenting him in the world as Christians. And this prayer makes us ask ourselves whether or not our conduct on earth actually does honor God's name as holy. For example, again, if you had one of those College Park Castle t-shirts, right, and you go, and you go out to, to dinner one day, and you're rude to the, to the server, uh, again, you're yelling at your kids, and you're getting angry with them uh, in a way that is, that is unbecoming. You, you leave the table trashed, and then you leave a, a pretty meager tip for, for really great service. Do you think that that, that server is going to be really excited to receive an invitation from you to come to College Park Church, uh, Castleton? No, right? Again, that our actions have now hindered the name of our church uh, for that server, now, we know that we will fail to represent God as we ought to. Um, we are sinful people. We, are, we won't represent him perfectly. Jesus represented God perfectly, so we point people to Jesus. But we ought to pray daily to God for us to be helpful, like to help us to be faithful ambassadors. And we also should pray that God's name would be honored as holy, not just in our lives, but in the life of our church, in the life of our city, and in the uttermost parts of of the earth, because we know one day it will be honored as holy. And so we have to pray that that would come. Second of God's priorities we see is that we have to pray that his kingdom would come. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are acknowledging his superior reign and rule over the universe, right? And that it is better for all of us on earth if his kingdom would come and be established on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we see evidences of, of God's kingdom breaking in uh, all the time. Uh, when we read the gospel, we, we see Jesus begin to reverse the curse by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, causing blind eyes to see, forgiving sin, and conquering death. Again, even in our own lives, again, we see God's kingdom breaking in. When our hearts 
by, by no effort of our own, we see them starting to bend, bend our will to a heavenly authority, to submit to a heavenly authority instead of our own. Again, we can look around uh, this church and see, and see people's lives being changed. We see, you know, seeing baptisms and seeing those type of things. That is evidence of God's kingdom being, being breaking into a fallen world. And yet, we also see the need for God's rule to expand in our hearts and in the world as we see people, ourselves included, reject our maker as king. Therefore, we daily pray for God's kingdom to come, to reorient our hearts away from building our own kingdoms, and also from putting trust in the kingdoms of this world. And when you start setting a pattern of prayer that prays for God's kingdom to come, again, you won't be afraid when the world feels like it's spinning out, out, out of chaos. And, uh, because we know, right, who sits on the throne. And we believe that there's coming a day when Jesus will come back and he will make all things new and he will establish his kingdom on earth and his rule will be perfect. His justice will be perfect and he will bring perfect peace forevermore. So make it your pattern to pray that God's kingdom would come, to expand in our hearts, expand in our city, expand in the globe, and ask the Lord to hasten his return. Thirdly, the pattern of prayer we need to prioritize is God's will over our will. And I don't know about you, but I think this is probably one of the most difficult things to pray um, with sincerity. Again, often I think we, we pray in order to bend God's will towards, towards ours and not for our will to be bent towards his. Again, in order to pray this with any, any confidence and honesty, we must have confidence that God is a good God and that he's as good as he says and that his will is best even when it's difficult. Right? In, in the Garden of Eden, our first parents told God, not your will, God, but ours be done, which led to condemnation for us all. But then we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does Jesus pray? Not my will, but yours be done, which leads to salvation to all who put their trust in him. I think one of the most comforting things about our Savior Jesus is that he never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done before or will give us his spirit to help us to do. God's will for our lives, again, does not always feel pleasant, but his purposes are always good. Again, if God can take the greatest tragedy of all time, the killing of the Son of God, and turn it into the greatest triumph, his resurrection and salvation, how much more can we expect God to turn our sadness and our trials into rejoicing? came across a great prayer by Martin Luther. He says this, Grant us grace to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity, and to recognize that in this, your divine will is crucifying our will. It's, it's when our will yields to God's, I think that we fully understand what Jesus means when he says, Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you've noticed, and again, in these first three uh, petitions, right, it's all about God. It's all about his expanse of his glory, uh, which tells us that we ought to prioritize God in our prayers. Again, our pattern of prayer ought to start with God-centered prayers, again, of adoration and thanksgiving, so that we can first take our eyes off of our, our needs and our thing in order to look to God first. Yet, as we look at the next three petitions, right, we'll see that Jesus also desires us for, to pray for our daily needs. 
Our pattern of prayer ought to include praying for daily provision of food and all sorts of other things. Again, we, we see here that these next three petitions encompass all our greatest needs. The need for daily bread, daily forgiveness, and also daily deliverance. First, we are to pray for our daily bread. Now, in our society, most of us are not, again, wondering where our next meal is coming from or where we're going to sleep tonight or where, you know, we're going to find medicine for, for our kids, although I'm not naive to think that there are many in this city who, um, who don't have those things. Nevertheless, the abundance right in our society puts an obstacle in our way to acknowledge God's daily provision. And we become so accustomed to our needs being, being met that we fail to see all that God has done to provide those things for us, to see his grace in those things. <clears throat> Most of us, again, are not like George Mueller, who is a well-known evangelist and director of multiple orphanages back in the 1800s in Bristol, England. This guy, he, he never made a request for anybody for financial support, but he simply prayed daily that God would provide daily bread and daily provision for him and the orphans. And for 40 years, God always met their needs. Now, I wouldn't suggest, again, you quit your job and just pray for food to show up on your door uh, every day. Um, as, as we said earlier, God generally uses, our, um, uses means to carry out his, his will, and so he uses our work as his means um, to supply daily provision. Nevertheless, Jesus is telling us that we ought to pray for daily provision so that we might never fall into believing that it is by our hands that we are fed or that life in itself is not all a gift. Again, our, our pattern of prayer should not be focused on the luxuries uh, of, of our lives, but rather our needs. Again, our prayers ought to look like this prayer in, in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, which says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, that the principle here is that those who have more than they need generally fail to remember that it is God who has provided all their needs. And to those who do not have enough are angry towards God and are tempted uh, to sin in their poverty. Now, for a majority of us here today, right, uh, we are wealthier than 99% of the people in, in the world. And we need to remember that self-sufficiency is not a virtue. We are fully dependent on God for everything, every meal, Every bed we sleep in, every daily need that is met is not an accident or a product of our hard work, but rather everything we have is a gift from God. And even our ability to work is a gift from God. And so we should pray with the psalmist, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Again, tomorrow, tomorrow right, is not guaranteed to us. Therefore, each day we ought to ask God for each day's provision. And when he provides for our needs, we ought to praise him and thank him for coming through again and again. If you're wondering if the Lord loves you, every day you can thank him for the needs that he continually provides for you. So we ought to pray for our daily bread. And next here, as Jesus teaches us that we ought to pray for daily forgiveness. Look at verses 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if you would just skip down to verses 14 and 15, which kind of function as an extension uh, of verse 12 or a commentary on it. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
Now, this certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven by God. Again, if our forgiveness from God was dependent on our forgiveness of others, none of us really would be saved, and, and salvation would no longer be a, a gift of grace, but something that we, we are earning. And again, we know from a multitude of other passages in the New Testament, uh, again, that salvation is fully dependent right, on God's grace. So rather, Jesus is telling us that, that God forgives the truly repentant. And then one of the main evidences of a truly repentant person is a heart of a forgiving spirit. Somebody who, again, who has a heart that is willing to forgive others. And if we truly understand how much it costs Jesus to forgive us and how, to, how precious it is to be forgiven of your past, present, and future sins, then we will be ready and willing to forgive the debts of others. Church, when we, when we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts towards others, it, it shows that we truly do not understand what it means to be forgiven by God. This petition right here, it warns us that we shall not experience the fullness of God's forgiveness towards us unless we extend the same forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Therefore, again, we ought to daily confess our sins to the Lord and ask the Lord to help us extend forgiveness to others. Again, and to be clear, again, we're, we're not, when we pray for forgiveness, we're not being resaved every time. We're not falling in and out of salvation and hoping to be forgiven again. Again, at salvation, God has, has paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. But rather, again, we, we daily seek forgiveness from God to remind us that our sin grieves God. And is it like any relationship, right? We need to come and to seek restoration when we see our sin. Right, if I were to sin against my my wife, um, but just I know I know she's going to forgive me, but I never ask for forgiveness. Right, our our relationship is going to erode over time, and you can imagine the same thing with with the Lord. Again, if we're not coming to the Lord as as our Father and and requesting forgiveness from Him, again, we our relationship with Him will erode, and so. We need to develop this pattern of confession in our prayers and it helps us grow in our relationship towards God and it helps us grow in our relationship towards, towards others. And again, there, there's nothing more encouraging, I think, at least for me, to hear, again, my brothers and sisters confess sin and know we're, we're in the same boat together and we both need help. We need God's help. But before we move on again, uh, we, we need to make sure we see this warning, right? This very clear warning from, from Jesus that the warning that if our lives are characterized by perpetual unforgiveness towards others, then, then we ought not to expect the Lord to grant forgiveness on the last day. That's a hard word, but it's very clear that's what Jesus is saying here. Finally, as we look to the last petition, we see that we ought to pray for daily deliverance, daily deliverance from our greatest enemy. Verse 13 and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations will say from the evil one. I think that's kind of what Jesus is talking about, from, from the devil. Deliver us from the devil. Now, this is also kind of maybe confusing a little bit to us. Again, this, this prayer is not to infer that God in any way desires to lead us into sin. We know from James 1, right, that God himself tempts no one, but we are lured and enticed by our own sinful desires. Instead, we are praying something like this. Lord, keep us from the allurement of sin that seeks to devour us. 
Lord, Lord, we know how strong our adversary, the devil, is and how enticing his temptations can be. So do not allow us to be led into a temptation that is too strong for us to withstand, but rescue us from the evil one. You know, we, we ought not to be angry with God if temptation, the same temptations come, come our way as if he's responsible. Again, just, just as we are to work for our daily bread and to forgive others daily, we ought to resist temptation daily and flee from it. Right? Scripture is very clear that, that God will not, let you, will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he always provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, we must look for God's path of escape. And we must not make provisions for our flesh. And if you feel tempted towards gluttony, you, you, you ought not to fill your pantry with things that you like to indulge yourselves in. If you're tempted to gossip, you, you ought not to surround yourself with friends and with people who just love uh, to gossip. If, if you're tempted towards lust, you, you ought not to have a filterless computer or internet access. We are to resist the devil, and God promises, right, that he will flee from us. And the point of this prayer is not to the avoidance of all tests of faith or trials, but for protection in the trials. So therefore, we ought to pray for daily deliverance from the Lord, and that he would show us the way of escape and not fall into the snare of the devil. And, and I, tr- I truly believe this is probably one of, the most, one of the greatest hidden evidences of God's grace that he showers upon the earth is his restraint of evil, his hidden restraint of evil. Uh, we, we may look around the world and see a whole bunch of stuff happening, a bunch of evil and evil people, and, and for sure they are, they are there. But just, just imagine if God were to release his restraint upon evil in this world. Again, we have a, a world that's, that's you know, generally pretty orderly, and that is a gift from God. Uh, and again, we are a one, one, one person, one, I don't know, one God leading his hand back for the entire world to go in, into chaos. And, and how many times do you think for you, that the Lord has kept you from making a ruin of your life because he has kept you from the snare uh, of the devil. Again, I think of my own life. I go, you know, I went through college. I went, like, Lord, what, 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 could, what did you keep me from without my energy that you just decided in your kindness to restrain me from? The mercy of the Lord is great to daily deliver us from the hand of the evil one. And so we ought to pray. Praise, praise be to God. Right, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So again, Jesus has given us a pattern of prayer right, to avoid and a pattern of prayer to follow. So church, I asked you this morning, what, what pattern of prayer characterizes your life today? Again, are, are your prayers mostly mindless words? Or are they mostly for, for show? Maybe you're not praying, praying at all. Or maybe you realize your prayers are too focused on, on your wants rather than God's priorities. Parents, I would, I would ask you, I'm well aware of this, I feel, I feel this more so with having kids, is that what are your prayers that you pray with your kids and your family, what, what, are, they, what are they teaching them about God? Right? If they're going to transcript your prayers that you pray in front of your children or in front of your peers, what would they learn about your relationship with God through your, through your prayers? Again, it's not, it's not hard to feel guilty right, about prayer. We, we all know we can do that. And again, the teaching in seminary, hey, if you want to make the congregation feel guilty, just talk about prayer and read your Bible. Uh, that's not what we're trying to do here today. 
Well, what I'm trying to do here again, and even just to remind you that, that no matter what your prayer life looks like, whether, whether you develop bad patterns or you're, you're not even praying at all, know that it's never too late to ask God to help you develop a new healthy pattern of prayer. Remember, God is a gracious Father who is ready to forgive and ready to teach you how to pray by His Spirit. So just, I would just ask you today, would you just take some time today, whether this evening with your family, and just to pray this, this model prayer with your family? Again, would you take some time just to, to pray? Again, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be impressive. Again, God just wants to hear from you. So would you do that? Again, there are other biblical models that you can use to pray. Again, if this one feels like it's, it's getting stale, right? You know, uh, I, I've prayed up here a lot with the, the acts pattern, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, just kind of praying those buckets uh, as you bring your request to God or learn one this week. Uh, the three R's, rejoice, repent, request. So you take any passage of scripture and take the three R's and you can re- find something to rejoice in, find something to repent in, or find something to request from the Lord. Again, another thing Seb, you can take, again, we, we pray monthly as a congregation at our uh, worship and prayer nights, like the last Sunday uh, of every month at five o'clock. Again, I'd encourage you to come and pray with the people around you. Again, it's such an encouragement to pray and to hear other believers' faith. Again, church, we ought to remember that it is a privilege that we get to pray. It is not a right to be drawn to the throne of grace and ushered into the, um, the Father's presence. And even if you, you don't know what to pray, or, or maybe you're in a season of suffering, and it's just, it is hard to pray, one of the great promises of Scripture is that God knows what you need, right? And His Spirit, He actually takes our imperfect prayers and He perfects them before His throne. So that even when we don't know how to pray or we pray wrongly, he, he, He's helpful and the Spirit will perfect those prayers before your Father. And just know, again, you have a Heavenly Father whose arms are wide open to hear your requests. Would you pray with me? Our Father, what a joy and a privilege it is to come before you this morning. Again, thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross in our place so that we might have access to you in prayer. Lord, would you help us develop a pattern of prayer that honors you? Lord, would you help us to make your priorities our priorities? Lord, we confess again, we, we are so distracted. This world has so many distractions for us. And, and we, just help, we just ask that you would help us, Lord. Lead us away from temptation, Lord. Help us to honor your name as we should. Father, I pray for anyone here who, who does not know you as Father. Would you speak to their hearts right now? Help them to believe and to know and to trust that when they trust in Jesus, they are adopted into the family of God and they are given direct access to you. Father, what a privilege it is to come before your throne of grace and present our request to you. Lord, shape and fashion us in your likeness until your kingdom comes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.